I want you to listen to this statement and let me know if you agree with it or not. Our identities are made up of many wonderful parts, things like our culture, sexuality, religion, age, our body, gender, and lots more. Our identities are personal. No one can tell you how to identify. You are who you are. Do you agree with this statement from an Australian National Youth Mental Health Foundation? I think most would agree with this statement, especially with the last phrase, you are who you are. That is the reality of life. We are who we are and not someone else. But if we analyze this statement with a discerning mind, what is missing is an acknowledgement of how God has wonderfully and uniquely made each one of us in His own image in accordance with His perfect design. I would have issues with the implied worldview in this statement that you are who you are because you feel like or you want to be someone or something. Of course, having just said that, someone may respond, Pastor, you have no right to tell me what I am to feel and what I should desire. And in that, you are correct. I don't have that right. But our Creator God definitely has a say in how He has created us and what His design for humankind is. This week and next week, I want to discuss the topics of gender identity and human sexuality. Since I will share both the biblical and non-biblical positions so that you can fully understand the issue at hand and engage the culture, if you don't listen carefully, you may wrongly assume I'm advocating for a non-biblical position. I will not be able to touch on all aspects of this issue, as these issues are complex but everything we discuss will be filtered through a biblical framework. What I'm sharing is not my personal convictions or opinions on this matter. It is God's teaching on this subject. This morning, I want to discuss the issue of gender identity and its basic root issue, can I be what I feel? And to begin, I think it's important for us to first understand the current worldview regarding gender identity. In its rejection of the biblical definition of sex and gender, the world's culture today has tried to define what makes up a person, to justify the various identities that people want to identify as. They do so to legitimize their feelings. As followers of Christ, called to reach the world and all people for Him, we need to understand the prevailing culture and how they think and perceive this issue so we will know where they're coming from and be able to engage in meaningful and impactful conversations. An illustrated framework the world uses to separate out gender from biological sex is either called the gender-bred person or the gender unicorn. You can Google these terms for infographics so you know what I'm referring to. But basically, the secular worldview advocates for the division of the person into five parts. The first is sex assigned at birth or biological sex. This is the physical sex characteristics you're born with and develop, including genitalia, body shape, voice pitch, body hair, hormones, chromosomes, and other physical things. I'm going to use the term biological sex because scientifically, there is no quote-unquote assigned sex per se. We are anatomically or genetically born with a specific sex. 
Sex is typically categorized as male or female, and in a very small percentage, because of a physiological or genetic anomaly, there is the category intersex. Intersex is an umbrella term often used in the medical field to describe people with physical, natural variations with differences in reproductive anatomy, chromosomes, or hormones. For example, intersex people may be born with both ovarian and testicular tissues, or instead of the typical XY or XX chromosomes, they are XXY. Or they're born with external genitalia that falls in the typical male-female categories, but their internal organs or hormones do not match. These are all physiological anomalies, and a medical option to deal with this is surgery. With this definition of intersex, an estimated 1% to 2% of the population have this condition. But interestingly, some doctors and scientists are saying that with a more medically precise definition of intersex, the statistic is closer to 0.018% of the population. Either way, the numbers are very small, but yet should be mentioned. Whatever the case, intersex is a physical condition and not a psychological one. What I want us to take away is that even the current worldview, from scientists to non-scientists, admit that there is a biological sex that we are born into. Keep that in mind. The second aspect of the person the secular worldview advocates for is gender identity. This is how you, in your head, define your gender based on how much you align or don't align with what you understand to be your options for gender. Generally, the secular worldview categorizes this gender identity as male, female, or non-binary, which is a catch-all term for not falling into the male or female category. Other terms are agender or genderqueer. If a person whose gender identity aligns with their biological sex, they are called cisgender, from the Latin meaning for cis, on this side of. If a person whose gender identity differs from their biological sex, they are called transgender, from the Latin trans, meaning on the other side of. Therefore, for example, a transgender man is someone whose biological sex is female, but who gender identifies as a male, or vice versa. A transgender woman is biologically a man, but who gender identifies as a woman. This is the feeling part of the debate. Can my identity be what I feel in my head? This is the issue we will focus more on later. The third aspect of the person is gender expression. This is the way you present gender through your actions, dress, and demeanor, and how those presentations are interpreted based on gender norms. Gender expression, of course, naturally comes from your gender identity, especially if you don't think it matches your biological sex. The current worldview further divides the person. The fourth and fifth aspects deal with sexual orientation. This is the physical, romantic, and or the emotional attraction to members of the same and or other genders. This includes lesbian, gay, bisexual, and straight orientations. So the fourth aspect of a person is whom you are physically attracted to. This is your sexual attraction, which we will discuss at length in the message next week. 
This means that even if your gender identity and biological sex match, you can still be sexually attracted to the opposite sex or the same sex. Or if your gender and biological sex are different, you can be sexually attracted to either of the sexes or to both. And if you're not already confused with a variety of combinations, there's the fifth part of a person, and that is whom you are emotionally attracted to. So these are the people you are not necessarily sexually or physically attracted to, but are emotionally attracted to, similar to deeply admiring them or finding an emotive connection to them. One can be emotionally attracted to either of the sexes or to any of the genders. Because gender and sex have been divided and subdivided into these five aspects. And if gender isn't about someone's anatomy, but about whom they think or feel themselves to be, then that is why you have a lot of different terms today to describe the different genders. It does get very confusing. And this is our first takeaway, number one. The issue of gender identity is complex and confusing in our fallen world. The issue of gender identity is complex and confusing in our fallen world. I think it's important to acknowledge this in order to reach out to this community for Christ. If you group everyone into the same category and dismiss all of these people with a one-liner or one social media post, then you do yourself a great disservice because the issues are complex rooted in what people experience and go through in life. And we all have different experiences. You and I know that life is messy. And in a fallen, sinful world, no wonder we have so many messed up, sinful people like you and me. Now, to add to the confusion, we have the issue of pronouns. For those who studied English grammar, pronouns are words that you use to refer to someone or something when you don't need to use a noun because it has already been referred to earlier. So, for example, pronouns referring to yourself are I and me, and a plural, we and us. For a man, the pronoun is he, him. For a woman, the pronoun is she, her. Plural form is they, them, and so on. But now with many different gender identities, the logical implication is that it also affects the traditional pronouns. So among the younger generation... This is the standard of how a conversation should go. If I was introducing myself to someone, I would say, I'm Stephen. I use the he, him pronouns. What about you? But because gender identities are so varied, today, the younger folks use they, them as a singular pronoun. So if someone identifies as non-binary and appears feminine, while the assumptions are that the pronouns for that person are she, her, the actual supposed correct usage is they, them, even if you're referring to one person. Yes, it is not logical to me, but somehow it makes sense and is accepted by the younger generation. And if you're not confused, don't worry. Even a communications officer at GLAD, an LGBTQ plus advocacy organization, Mary O'Hara admits, in my community, in the queer community, with a lot of trans and non-binary people, we all have to frequently remind ourselves of each other's pronouns. It is a sort of constant mindfulness where you are always catching up a little bit. You may know someone for 10 years, and then they let you know their pronouns have changed. 
You can only imagine how confusing it can be to call someone, they, them, in reference to one person. And now there are new developed pronouns that are gender neutral, like Z-E or H-I-R, pronounced Z and here, as well as new titles that are gender neutral. Instead of the traditional M-R for Mr. or M-S for Miss, there's M-X, pronounced Mix. That is an option of choice for those who do not identify as male or female. My friends, this is the world you and I live in. We can laugh at the craziness of it all. We can ignore and pretend it doesn't exist. Or we can try to understand their perspective and respond with love and truth. So how do we respond as followers of Jesus Christ? First and foremost, we need to look to see what the Bible says. Because it is not your truth and my truth, nor your opinions and my preferences that really matter. It is God's view on the matter that is important for the Christian. And God would know human beings best because He made us. And just like with any device or product, we ask the inventor or the design engineer, what was the original design and purpose that they envisioned for the product? When God created human beings, He created us gender binary. Look what Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 so clearly states. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. In God's perfect creation, uncorrupted by sin, there are no other gender categories, only male and female. The writer of Genesis makes an important two-sided distinction by means of the pronouns he chooses to employ. The first of these pronouns is singular. In the image of God, he created him. The second is plural. Male and female, he created them. Herein lies an extremely significant truth. Viewed in terms of the God-word relation, man or mankind is one, all of us, men and women alike, are created equally in His image. But amongst ourselves as humans, we are differentiated by sex as a race. We are divided into two groups, halves or component parts, male and female. This is our second principle, number two. God's creation design for human sex and gender is only male and female. God's creation design for human sex and gender is only male and female. But listen, even if there are only two gender categories, we have to acknowledge that the expressions of masculinity and femininity are expressed in a wide variety of ways, such as how the shepherd king, David, was also a wonderful musician, or how the female judge, Deborah, led the people of Israel into battle. But in God's creation design, there are only two genders, male and female. As we have mentioned, there are individuals who are born intersex because of the fallen sinful world we live in, which causes genetic anomalies, birth defects, and deviations from God's original creation design. They are a very small exception and do not negate God's perfection in His creation design of two sexes. Even those in the intersex category often identify biologically and genetically as male or female. Now, some biblically astute individuals may point to the eunuchs mentioned in Matthew chapter 19 as another gender. 
But in Matthew 19, the eunuchs do not refer to sexless people, but men who were born without the ability to procreate or who were castrated. Genesis chapter 2, which details what happened in Genesis chapter 1, very clearly describes that in the creation of the first perfect people, Adam and Eve, God created them male and female, and they were to serve as complements to one another. And when joined uniquely in sexual union as a married couple, they became one flesh. Again, this is not my preference or opinion on the matter. This is God's original perfect creation design for humankind, and it is clearly described in Genesis. But the next line of argument from the world is this, but pastor, you are mixing biological sex with gender. They are two different things. Although historically, they were the same thing for centuries, but for the sake of argument, let's say they're different. For the biological sex, which were supposedly assigned at birth, and the gender they feel are not the same. Listen, the issue is not, are there people who think this way? Because there are. We have to acknowledge that. The issue we have to address is, is this part of God's original perfect creation design, that biological sex and gender feelings can be different? The answer is no. This is not part of God's original creation design. For example, in basic biology, everyone knows that it takes one man and one woman to reproduce. If you have a man sleeping with a man who identifies as a woman, I guarantee you they will not be able to procreate. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 to 27 says it is a natural and not part of God's plan. And there's a prohibition against this in Leviticus chapter 18. So as God intended it, procreation only works if the biological sex and gender are the same. I think we have to admit that while men and women are both human beings and equal in worth, intelligence, and ability, they're not completely the same because of various differences. Both the scriptures and common sense show that they are different anatomically. Men alone produce sperm. Women supply the egg and the womb to bear the child. And after birth, only a woman's breast can produce milk to nurse a newborn. A biological man cannot do that, even if he would like to do so. That's why Adam named his wife woman in Genesis chapter 2, because she was different. The scientific world attests to the general anatomical and hormonal differences between the sexes. I guarantee you that if you were studying to be a medical doctor and to the question, can a biological man who gender identifies as a woman give birth to a child? If you answered yes, you would not be a medical doctor, Christian or non-Christian. Men generally develop to be physically stronger than women. That's why for decades before this one, sports were divided into men and women categories because it would be unfair for men competing in the women's categories. God's original perfect design was for only two biological sexes that matched their gender. If you were to separate the two terms, which, again, historically, mind you, they've always been the same, then you're moving away from God's creation design. Let me repeat again God's word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. These are not my words. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In short, the Bible teaches that God made us either male or female. In God's original creation design, there are only two sexes and genders. Now let me ask you the question. Do I have the right to identify as anything and anyone? Yes. In the free cultural society in which we live, we have the right to identify as whatever we want. Can someone else tell me how to feel and dictate to me what to feel? Of course not. What you feel is what you feel. But because I can't impose my views on yours, you also can't impose your views on me and make me accept what I do not believe to be true or acceptable to God. That's only fair. However, we must note that there are limitations to these self-identifying freedoms and feelings. As with all freedoms and feelings, let me explain. Acting out on our feelings and the freedom to identify with someone or something cannot infringe upon the rights of others. That is a limitation. It cannot be a license for the breaking of laws. That, again, is a limitation. And others are entitled to a differing perspective. And what you feel may not be what is reality. I believe everyone would agree with these stated limitations of our freedoms. Now, let me discuss and focus on the limitations of the right to identify as it pertains to one's feeling not being what is reality. Because, my friends, there is truth in reality, and there is falsehoods and imagination. And in a functioning society, this distinction still needs to be made, or else it would be utter chaos. Everyone would do as they so feel. For example, if a child feels like an astronaut dressing up in an astronaut costume, is he a real astronaut? Of course not. Feelings and reality do not match. If a person feels rich, looks rich, dresses rich, other people think he is rich. But in reality, he has a large debt and no money in his bank account. Would he be considered financially rich? Of course not. Credible banks approve loans not based on how you feel or how you look. But if you have the actual capacity to pay back what you are loaned or if you have collateral. If I'm legally married to someone, but I get into a big fight with my spouse, and at that moment I don't feel like I want to be married, but I want to now live a single life without any spousal or parental responsibilities, in reality, am I still married? Yes, you are legally married and still have familial obligations, regardless of how you feel. If I want to be a horse, feel like a horse, identify as a horse, can I be a horse? No. You are biologically not a horse, even if you feel like one. I can't force you to think that you are not a horse, but I know that you're not a horse, and you don't have the right to force me to think you are a horse. I'm entitled to my own differing perspectives based on reality. I hope you see my point. What we feel may not be what is reality. The late Dennis Avner also known as Stalking Cat, was a Native American man who gained worldwide fame several years ago for landing in the Guinness Book of World Records for most permanent transformations to look like an animal. 
a Navy veteran, stocking cat, lived in the back of a hardware store in 2011 and said in a video for actor Fred Willard that he spent thousands of dollars to alter his appearance to look like a cat. The hardware store owner, Dave Daly, said that he allowed stocking cat to reside in the back of the store to prevent break-ins and intruders. In addition to getting tattoos of tiger stripes all over his face, Stocking Cat also got whiskers, ear reshaping, eyebrow implants, an eye bridge implant, septum relocation, silicon lip and upper cheek injections, and a cleft lip, among other things. Everything I see and do, I relate to as a cat, he said. I'm told I purr in my sleep. Stocking Cat unfortunately died in an apparent suicide in 2012, much of the sadness of those familiar with him. Dennis's boundary-breaking life was never an easy one, Shannon Larrick wrote at the time. A wonderful and complex person, he was at times as troubled as he was remarkable. And yet, as much as Dennis Abner wanted to be a cat with all of his modifications, he was in reality still a human being. All of this, I can be what I feel worldview, disregarding truth and reality, finds its roots in humanism and individualism. Owen Strachan points out well this reality. Radical individualism casts off all moral restraints in order to achieve maximum personal happiness. I call this mindset narcissistic, optimistic deism. I can do whatever I want, many people think, and God exists to make all my dreams come true. This perspective has influenced how many people view their body. The body is not made by God for His glory. It is a blank slate upon which we may draw any identity, any self-expression we choose. Use it, abuse it, do whatever you want with it. Of course, since today's world culture is influenced by Satan, he has been trying to destroy what God so beautifully designed. He has replaced truth with feelings and move the culture to a place where feelings are more important than truth or reality. Satan began by removing God from creation so that there will be no truth basis for his creation design. Satan then pushed for the removal of the uniqueness of the sexes. Then gender roles were changed, followed by how romantic love is and can be expressed, and now our gender identity can be redefined and fluid. We now are able to have a man trapped in a woman's body, and that is now no longer just a feeling, that is a reality that must come to bear through different means, including reconstructive surgery. And yet, at its core, what you feel may not be what is reality, but individualism has changed that to say it is. You see, my friends, what I want you to understand is this, number three. What I feel may not be what is true and real. What I feel may not be what is true and real. This principle doesn't just have to do with gender identity. It is a universal principle that can apply in any situation. You can feel sad, but the reality is you are greatly blessed. You can feel old, but the reality is you're only 23. We are not minimizing invalidating or dismissing one's feelings, but simply saying there is a reality we have 
to consider. Look what Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 to 10 warns us. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 to 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The Bible clearly warns us that our feelings can deceive us. Look at two other verses in James chapter 1, verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Romans 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. These verses tell us that our feelings and sinful desires pull us away from God. If not for the truth of God's Word and reality, our feelings without reality checks may lead us to a dark and destructive place. For example, if I feel like a police officer and I identify as one and start to arrest people, but I'm not really a police officer, I can be arrested for impersonating a police officer. Reality and truth puts a reasonable limit to my feelings and correctly controls my self-identification. Let me repeat that. Listen. Reality and truth puts a reasonable limit on my feelings and correctly controls my self-identification. My friends, problems arise when feelings are placed above reality, and we try to accommodate everyone's feelings so as not to offend. For example... In the world of sports, transgender children and adults can choose to play on the girls' or boys' or men's or women's sports teams based on how they identify. What you have in reality is physically dominant men playing in women's sports. Yeah, Thomas is a transgender woman, meaning she is biologically a man but identifies as a woman. Leah has been swimming since she was a child. As a man, while competitive, Leah didn't win many swimming competitions. But swimming with the University of Pennsylvania's women's swim team, she has broken record after record. Her physical dominance and success has ignited a heated debate about fairness in sports. Peyton McNabb, a female high school volleyball player in North Carolina, had a volleyball spike so hard at her face by a transgender girl that she suffered a concussion and neck injury. In urging state lawmakers to pass a bill banning transgender athletes born male from playing on female sports team, she added that she still struggles with the effects of her injuries, including impaired vision, partial paralysis on the right side of her body, unremitting headaches, anxiety, and depression. Truth be told, most people would have issue with trans women who are biologically men competing in women's sports. But they don't say anything because they don't want to offend anyone. Women like Lynn Pinchy have walked out of playing against trans women because of the competitive disadvantage. It is not because they don't believe that people can identify as trans. It is because of the blatant competitive disadvantage and wanting a sense of fairness. 
But these are the issues that arise when individual feelings carry a greater weight than truth and reality in our current culture. We're not even going to talk about the bathroom or restroom issue, but you can see how allowing anyone who feels like anything going to whatever restroom they desire can cause issues and pose a security risk to children and women, especially if someone is faking their gender to take advantage of the changing laws. At the core, the issue is, does feelings determine reality? And both the Bible and common sense says no. What I feel may not be true or real. Because of this tension between reality and feelings, there's something called gender dysphoria. Dysphoria is defined as a strong state of unease and dissatisfaction. In this discussion between feelings and reality, in no way am I dismissing one's feelings or invalidating your self-identity. As I mentioned before, you feel what you feel. It is real to you. Therefore, I do not invalidate or dismiss people who suffer from gender dysphoria. There really are males who feel like they are females and vice versa. And the cause of this are varied and complex. Sometimes it is environmental. Sometimes it is physiological or psychological. Sometimes it is simply from a sinful mind. How to remedy this takes time. Lots of prayers, accepting God's creation design, a support group, counseling, and other things. My friends, we have to grant compassion, show love, and give space for people suffering from gender dysphoria. We should not be so quick to judge, but try to understand why they feel what they do and why they identify as they do. Then, in that loving dialogue, share with them the reality of how God has fearfully and wonderfully made each one of us and how He wills and desires that we all find our identity in Jesus Christ. Now, some may wonder, if my real feelings and self-identity do not align with the reality of my biological body, what hope do I have? My friends, if this is your struggle or the struggle of one of your friends or family members, the hope we have is the hope found in Jesus Christ. You see, when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we die to ourselves. We die to our desires, Matthew 16, 24. We no longer walk as we once did, Ephesians chapter 4. And our mind is renewed, Romans chapter 12. We belong to God as His children and now have a higher purpose to live for, to glorify Him with our entire being, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17 says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My friends, God's Word reminds us that we are not defined by our body or feelings. In Christ, we are a new creation. We have new identities in Christ. You see, the fourth principle I want us to understand is this. Number four, God desires all people to find their primary identity in Christ. God desires all people to find their primary identity in Christ. 
regardless of our struggles, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we are now children of the Almighty God. And therefore, our identity is completely changed. We are no longer sinners in the eyes of God, but we are God's friends. We are God's children. We are redeemed by Him. I like what Thomas White said. The war of ideas currently taking place in our culture begins at creation. If someone believes that mankind resulted from evolution, then embracing his or her inner nature is being true to themselves because this life is all we have. One can easily see how sexual expression becomes the very essence of humanity and how denial of those feelings betray someone's identity. Yet, if you believe that God created us for more than this life and that our identity must be found in Christ alone, then religious expression becomes more important than sexual expression. Sexuality is then a good gift from God, but not our defining distinctive. Sexuality is then a good gift from God, but not our defining distinctive. The Christian worldview notes that Jesus the perfect God-man was not sexually active and that in heaven we will not marry, but we will be like the angels, Matthew 22. Sexuality does not define humanity. Our identity and our satisfaction must be found in Christ alone. Again, our sexuality does not define us because if it did, then there is really no hope for mankind as all of us in one way or another are sexually broken people. For all of us are guilty of sexual sin, even if it's just lusting in our minds. But praise be to God that our primary identity and our full satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. And it is in Him that we find our significance and our identity as children of the Almighty God, who has called us to live uniquely and differently from the world as people who have been redeemed from the world. Therefore, my friends, as God's children, we have to listen to what He says about our lives and about us. Sometimes this means that we have to say no to what we think, what we want, and what we feel, but instead choose to believe that a loving God knows what He's talking about, and that while I may not agree or understand I know that God's command for how I should live is for my best because the one who died for me to save me surely would want the best for me, his redeemed children. My friends, apart from understanding this truth, it will always be a push and pull of who knows what is best for my life. If I know that my God loves me more than I love myself, then I can trust him and his word. And I know that if I follow his word, it will be for my best. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 and let the word of God alone speak to your hearts. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. Just soak up the truth of our true and primary identity in Christ and how it should change our lives. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love these verses because at the end of the day, as new creations in Christ, we are God's workmanship. Our primary identifier is not our feelings, but in our positional standing in Christ as beloved children of the Heavenly Father. Our primary identifier is not our feelings, but in our positional standing in Christ as beloved children of the Heavenly Father. My friends, we need to embrace this truth and reality. Ephesians chapter 5 also reminds us that God loves all people deeply and because of His grace and mercy died for sinners like you and me died for those who struggle with gender dysphoria, and died for those who struggle with gender identity issues. And just to be clear, Jesus loves and died for those who identify as male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, bigender, gender fluid, agender, pangender, gender queer, passing gender, two-spirit, third gender, and all, none, or combination of those. Salvation is available for all people, and all people need the salvation offered by Jesus. For we are all sinners, and sin separates us from God forever. This is eternal death. But when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we are transformed and have the power through the Holy Spirit to overcome any sins in our lives. This is our fifth principle, number five. God deeply loves and cares for those with gender identity issues, and so should you. God deeply loves and cares for those with gender identity issues, and so should you. Therefore, my friends, knowing that God deeply loves and cares for those with gender identity issues or gender dysphoria, we're reminded that God gives everyone the strength and power by His Spirit to overcome any sinful temptations and to live in holiness. As sinners, we all have to repent of our sins and sinful practices. We all have to align ourselves to God's standard of holiness. No one said it would be easy. In fact, it will be messy because change is always hard. But if we're willing to work through our gender identity issues and focus on our identity in Christ, then we will find even greater joy, freedom, satisfaction, and peace. My friends, if after hearing this message you feel hurt, confused, angry, or if you need someone to talk to and process with, 
or you need some clarifications, our staff and I would be happy to talk with you and journey with you through this. As Christians, we need to patiently love, counsel, befriend, and come alongside those who struggle with gender identity. While we cannot address in this message all the hows of care, counseling, compassion that is needed to care for those hurting and confused, my simple charge to all of you is to show love and understanding. While we hold to the clear teachings of God and His unchanging Word, we also teach and speak the truth in love, as Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 reminds us. You see, when it comes to those in the trans or the LGBTQ plus community, we can either avoid them and pretend that they are not in our community, or we can reach out to them in kindness and share with them the transformative power of Jesus Christ who died to save all sinners. Don't forget that we have a responsibility as Christians to share the good news of Christ to all people. God deeply loves and cares for those with gender identity issues, and so should we. I know this topic may have made some of you a bit uncomfortable, but it is something we need to talk about and address because it is what the world and the media are already talking to our children about as young as grade school age. If we don't teach our children about gender and sexuality from a biblical perspective, the secular culture will. We should not allow the world to control the narrative. We should introduce to the world the beauty of God's creation design for the human race. You may think this is something you'll never have to deal with, and no one in your family will ever have gender identity struggles. You think to yourself, as long as my kids grow up in church, they will be fine. As long as they attend a Christian school, they should be okay. My friends, if you think this, you're fooling yourself, and you may be in for a big surprise. The church has to lovingly address these issues while never compromising the truth of the Bible. According to Revoice, 86% of LGBTQ plus adults were raised in the church. 54% of the LGBTQ plus community leave the church as adults largely due to negative personal experiences. LGBTQ plus folks are open to returning to church at a rate of 67% higher than the average non-church goer. So as a church, we have to do a better job reaching out to this community for Christ. And it begins when we take the time to understand these complex issues and also know and embrace unashamedly God's view of sexuality and gender. So remember, when it comes to gender identity and the question, can I be what I feel? Number one, the issue of gender identity is complex and confusing in our fallen world. Number two, God's creation design for human sex and gender is only male and female. Number three, what I feel may not be what is true and real. Fourth, God desires all people to find their primary identity in Christ. And finally, remember, God deeply loves and cares for those with gender identity issues, and so should you. May the Lord grant us wisdom and courage as we engage and share with the world the life-changing truths of the Bible.